Please remember, conversations during EY podcasts should not be relied upon as accounting, tax, legal investment, nor other professional advice. Listeners must consult their own advisors. Why shouldn't we have hope? Even if you fail today, you can succeed tomorrow. So why can't we be hopeful? I don't think anyone can build a business being a pessimist. Usually being pessimist or cynical, you don't build businesses. You can't. You can't accomplish with that mentality. Truth is, humanity can save itself and our planet. And right at this very moment, there's someone who's taken on this challenge and is on a path to solving an incredibly tough global problem. This podcast was created to tell you about them. You're listening to Better Heroes, a show from the global EY organization about the untold stories of entrepreneurs devoting their lives to impactful innovation. And I'm your host, Matt C. Smith. There are over 7,000 languages that are spoken across the globe. And in order to connect across borders, regions, and continents, the world needs high-quality translation services. But when Nur al-Hassan was working in the Middle East in the early 2000s, she found these services were severely lacking for one of the world's top 10 most spoken languages, Arabic. That's when Nur decided to start an Arabic translation service, Tijama. From its inception, Tijama has done more to connect people than just translate. In the Middle East, women make up 20% of the workforce. But Tijama has started to close that gender gap by thinking outside the box. I think my story is quite interesting because I stumbled on the translation by coincidence. I'm a lawyer by education, was working in an international uh, organization as a consultant and um, As you know, like every consultant needs to produce their work, most likely in English. And when you want to translate it, you end up struggling, whether with talent or with cost or with um, speed to deliver the work to your customers. So there was always an agony when it comes to translation in my previous uh, life. And this is where the original idea came from. I started a very small boutique company in Amman, thinking that I'm just going to serve a couple of clients. Then I discovered there was a huge demand to it, left my job, dedicated my time to it. And then like a few months later, I relocated to the UAE and I started like my journey from here, serving the Arab world and any customer that's coming from a global perspective to the region that needs uh, content and Arabic translation. Dubai is an interesting place. Um, You know, we've seen... Dubai go through some transformative years in the last decade specifically. Obviously, it had its entertainment and hospitality kind of revolution 20 years ago. And then now we're having this incredible new nomad hotspot. I'm seeing a lot of innovators, entrepreneurs moving there, being a transit hub and having such a multicultural smorgasbord of people. Absolutely. So Dubai has, I think, a very unique spot where it bridges the east and the west mm. and it's you're still in the MENA region. So it's it serves our purpose being here very well. Most of multinational companies are already located in, in Dubai, been operating in Dubai for years. 
which made perfect sense for us to exist here to be able to serve our clients in a better way. For my benefit, and, and many of our friends listening to this as well, I'm sure, what are sort of the fundamentals of translation services and, and linguistics? Talk us through sort of the product ranges. What are the typical uh, things businesses come to you to, to have translated? So first, the service is very complex. Like people think that translation is very like one kind of service. I need you to translate this document. Translation has a lot of like intricates in it. So you have to do translation is different than transcreation, than localization, than editing, than machine translation post-editing now, than the subtitling for movies, than the dubbing, than interpretation for events. And all these services require different kind of um, expertise or a skill to be able to be delivered to the customer. So the way you translate a, a website or a document is completely different than translating a novel, mm. for example. Uh, you mentioned the localization. Can you expand on what you mean by localization in, in translation services? I'll just give a simple example. If let's say you are an e-commerce platform and you're trying to enter the Saudi market, like Saudi Arabia, you cannot go to Saudi by just translating. You need to localize the content that is in line with the culture that fits perfectly to the country that you're entering using their s- certain terminologies, really focusing on the culture and the way they say uh, these things. So you localize the brand or the product to that specific country. Mm. So it's so different than just translating. Think of an ad you've seen on a billboard or on TV. So often they use a pun or an idiom that you only get because you live in that area and speak that language. Nor says good translation services don't just translate content word for word. They localize it and make it work for a specific region. In the Middle East, we are 420 million people in this part of the world, and we have 22 dialects. That's 22 dialects in countries. In the same country, you have sometimes five, six, ten dialects Mm. between north, south, east, west that you need to accommodate to. So it's not really an easy job. It's not straightforward. I'd be curious sort of your experience with biases around linguistics, right? Because we, for example, I have a British accent, which tends to do well in the United States. People trust me. (laughs) People think I know what I'm talking about. Maybe you think I'm educated. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? I have a British accent. You'll believe everything I say, right? But it's true. You know, having these different accents and dialects, they, they play a lot. I'm just curious, do you have businesses that sort of ask for dialects that are more trustworthy or more convincing for sales? Now for sales from a marketing perspective, they will ask you to do it in a certain dialect, depending on the country you're trying to enter. Mm. But there is the Arabic, which is the modern standard Arabic, which is a classical Arabic that everybody uses. And this is the language that everybody in the Arab world understands very well. But let's say from a dialect point of view, there are certain dialects that are commonly liked from customers. So the Jordanian, for example, way of translation is usually more appealing from a Gulf perspective. It's I'm not being biased because I'm Jordanian. This is something that we've been like experienced over time. And Jordanian translators tend to have the ability to localize the content to a certain way from a Gulf perspective. On the, let's say, dubbing for series, the Syrian accent, the Egyptian accent, the Lebanese accent is more wanted, liked, because we've been used to like hearing it, listening to it over years. So every product has its own, um, I would say, dialect that is usually favored by the customer. 
or the listener. Mm. Um, okay, so now I feel like I'm I'm up to scratch, and, and our friends are too about understanding how localization services and and the linguistic world works. I'm curious about the other side of what you've done an incredible job of, and actually why you know you're here talking to us today is placing women at the core of this. When did that? sort of journey start? Because it sounds as if, you know, you experienced the um, market problem first. Mm. Uh, and when did you involve women in that process? So I think Tarjama um, inception was, has always revolved around women. So the day I started the business, it was as well by coincidence. Uh, when I started looking for talent, we found like a pool of talent. Many of these employees or translators that started working with me as freelancers early on were women, and most of them were women highly educated, with some with PhD, master's degree, went to top universities, but sitting at home, not working. So I was like, this is really weird. Like, why is this happening? And what, what's the cause of it? Like, these women should be like CEOs of, of companies or taking like high positions in, in mm. a, a certain corporate or a company. And then we discovered when I was chatting to these women that most of these women are either raising children or cultural barriers back then when I started that obliged them to be at home and they're like dying to work. They're really desperate to have a job. And financial independence was one of the main things when and a common factor in every conversation that I had with these women that we'd love to gain income. When Noah was first starting Tajama around 2007, working from home wasn't normal. But the women she wanted to employ needed a job that allowed them to still take care of their homes and children. And to Noah, remote work also made financial sense. So I thought, why do I need this woman to come to office? First, I'm going to incur a lot of expenses as a startup. I don't need to rent office. This is going to become so expensive because I need to provide laptops, electricity, plus other things. If they work from home, I have no issues as long as they deliver on time and they deliver good quality. So that's how we started. And then from one woman to the other, from like really by word of mouth, we managed to have a very large pool of uh, women working with us. Of course, we have men as well in the company now, and we have like 50-50% today. But when we early started, it was all about really women. And I think this industry attracts females too, because when, when I did like some statistics in Saudi, most of uh, graduates in, in the translation space or linguistics space were women. Mm. Um, and these women were forced to look for other jobs because they couldn't find a job. I'm curious about sort of the typical user journey of, of a customer that comes through and, and how does that all work from your matchmaking and the tailoring of the product to the customer's needs? So in the early days before, it was a pool of translators for everything. Today, the journey has been automated completely and we transformed the way we engage with our customers. We built a platform where the customer come to the T-Portal or the platform, upload the document, and then we receive the document immediately, get pushed uh, to the right translator based on their capabilities. We have a translation management system that we built as well that all our translators sit on today. They translate immediately. It gives them everything they need from insights, uh, number of words, accuracy, where they need to focus on segments that they need to translate or rewrite from scratch because the, the translation system did not give it to them 100%. And then we get to push back to the customer. So 
Now we have subject matter experts for each and every domain because we service huge wide of domains from gaming, uh, medical, legal, finance, consulting. Mm. So you can't have the same translators for everything. When it comes to uh, translation services, right? Now this is a formally kind of capital labor intensive thing, right? Back in the day, pre-platforms like yours and technologies, it was individuals, you know, reading, translating with that kind of contextual relationship to it. Uh, How have you evolved the technology and how are you using technology to accelerate your ability to offer better services? Absolutely. So first, what we did is we built a marketplace for freelancers. So we have over 100,000 freelancers on the marketplace that helps us to scale in languages, in um, dialects, in uh, certain segments for content writers or translators. Then we looked at internally, like we're using third-party tools. We cannot rely on third-party. We want to build our own. So we built the portal, the translation management system, the machine translation to Arabic, and everything is plugged into a marketplace, one environment, and everybody's on the same environment. This helped us first to be able to scale so we can translate millions of words instead of hundreds of thousands, helped us to drop cost for the customers, being able to accommodate to their needs in a faster manner. And if you don't build technology today or you don't embrace technology in our space, because you know AI is in everything today, especially in our space, if you don't do that, you're going to be pushed out of business soon or you will end up use third party And your margins are going to drop drastically because in order for you to make money in this business, you need to do volume. Mm. And and that means you need to be able to scale. And in order to scale, you cannot have just human process. You need to automate. Noor is absolutely fascinated by how AI coupled with human translators can improve translation services. So we don't run away from it. On the contrary, we actually learn more about it. We test it, we try it, we educate ourselves so much about it. First, I think it's definitely a fantastic technology that's going to disrupt so many things, but at the same time, it will create a lot of opportunities. It's going to be a tool that will enable. It will actually create opportunities. If you team it up with human, you can do wonders. ChatGPT today is like a parrot. So what it does, it's whatever it finds on the net, it's just going to collect it, rewrite it, push it to you. But it's coherent, but it's not accurate. It can't do citation. It lacks a lot of things yet. It's the same as machine translation. Think of machine translation. Can you rely on machine translation 100% without any human intervention? No. You cannot assume that the human will not have a role, but I'll tell you what will happen. You will lose a translator or a translator will be out of a job if they do not use AI. And that's very soon. And that's the same already with the writing tools. Instead of you wasting so much time on the research part, it will do all the research part for you and then you do the creative part. So it's elevating the human skill so we are, we are made to be creative, using our creativity or thinking out of the box when we want to translate or we want to write something. Not spend 90% of our time researching and when we want to reach the creative part, we're already drained. Same as, as Excel sheets and calculators and the way things used to be done before manually. It's just you need to take this as something that you will it will help you and it will definitely 
expedite the way we do things and enhance our capabilities, not only as a disruption. You will get disrupted if you fight these tools. Absolutely. So it's time to embrace uh, such technologies and think of how do we make use of them? I couldn't agree more. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there when it comes to embracing these AI technologies that can allow us to automate the mundane, the boring, the stuff that, yeah. I mean, are you developing these yourselves internally? Do you have a team that's looking into the future of translation, localization and other? Yes, we have an AI team and a technology team and every technology we built, we built it ourselves and we continue to build. We're building even more things like speech to text, so many things that are in the space, subtitling, uh, automate everything that's in our service that we could potentially automate, add machine translation and AI to it, we're doing. Looking at what you've just explained to me right now, you as the CEO of this incredible business, go back 12 years, or a little bit more even, in fact, 14, 15 years before you left to the UAE and started to develop this business. Would you have ever thought that you'd be running this business talking about AI and translation back then that you are now? Absolutely not. I thought I was <laughs> going to be in fashion, not the translation business, but looking at the translation business today and where we are, it's such an interesting business and it has so many layers under and it's a huge space. Like the language business global is, is very sizable. It's huge. And every single day you hear about M&As or investments that's happening in the space because people don't know much about it. They think it's being disrupted while it's actually growing substantially. One sector that Nur expects to grow in the coming years is speech-to-text. This technology will greatly improve searchability for things like videos and podcasts, just like this one. I think if you look at everything today from any tool that you're using on your phone, any of these bots that support you, any of these, um, like the likes of Alexa, Siri and others, this is all actually speech-to-speech, -speech, some of them, and some are speech-to-text. So I think you're going to get more of that. And if you think of content today, a lot of the content we're consuming today is video more than reading an article. And an article, you listen to it much more and podcasts more than before, which means voice is going to be a big, big thing in the way the world is heading towards. This is why for us, the ASR into dialect, especially into Arabic, is something that's close to heart and something that we're experimenting with already. Exciting things to look forward to. You mentioned, you know, the industry is just really growing and expanding, obviously supported by global borderless growth and, and business, etc. Your business placing uh, women at the core of that, having incredible economic benefits, both in your Arab market and other. Now you have created this model where businesses come to them, effectively cool. by being remote only. And I'm just curious if this is something that should be expanded into your industry. And why isn't it? I think it is because some companies in, in the US, I know a few companies that do like data annotation and they target women only. Some do like boot camps for women on the technology side as well. So there is a few businesses that are global that do that. Mm. In the region, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't want to forget someone, but I'm not sure if there's anything specifically in the service industry that reaches women in particular. Mm. I'm honestly unaware of. 
And it's, it's, it's just a very nice model because, you know, if you think about, obviously, you're providing a service to your customers and, and, and increasingly developing and improving service. However, at the same time, the core of your business is empowering women. Yeah, correct. So what's next for Tajama? So I think many things we're trying to expand. So we're expanding into the region as well, new geographies. We just did a big acquisition in the um, subtitling dubbing space that got us a couple of um, new locations in Europe and Canada. So our focus will be as well to expand there. We have not been selling globally. And I think many companies and clients need Arabic as well from a global perspective. And this is where we really want to focus uh, our energy. We're focusing so much on our expansion to Saudi Arabia. Qatar is a new geography as well that we just expanded to. So I think from an expansion, that's our target. Our second thing is uh, we're doing more acquisitions. So we're looking at a couple of M&A opportunities in the space that the space is growing. More on the product side, so more on the more features on the machine translation, more features on our current tools, on the ASR, Dialects is something that we're we're launching very soon. I think, honestly, in this space, the sky is the limit. So there's so much potential and growth. And uh, I think the space is very hot still. Like, there's so much opportunity in it. Mm. And youread.com. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us about the youread.com platform? Yes. So youread is the first product that we launched, which is the marketplace for freelancers. This marketplace has almost 60% females. It has 100,000 freelancers on it, content writers, designers, annotators, uh, translators into many language pairs, developers as well. And when we launched it, we launched it as a B2C marketplace. And now we pivoted into a B2B marketplace more because we discovered that customers want us to do the vetting for them and then teaming them up with the right candidates. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of candidates from the Middle East, we know by geography, by country, by um, gender. Uh, we have like the profiles, uh, has a, a wallet and escrow account to pay the freelancers, timesheets, academy to train. It's a fully fledged ecosystem, to be honest. It's fascinating to see your journey as an entrepreneur too. Uh, did you ever feel like you were going to be an entrepreneur? From day one. From day one. I don't know. It's in me. I've been always like wanting to build a business. I always like thought like I'm going to graduate work for a few years or do my master's and then start a business. And you've built a business with impact at its core, which you didn't quite realize at the beginning, you stumbled on that problem as well. Have you found that journey challenging, trying to place impact at the core of what you're doing? The impact part, no, in the beginning, honestly, Mm. because when I used to tell clients, we have women that work from home, they do amazing quality of translation. Everybody was like, women working from home. And giving good quality, mm, we're not sure. Because there's always this perception that a good employee needs to be sitting from nine to five. Then they will produce good work. And and that was 15 years ago. This is really long time ago. The world has changed. But when you tell customers, just test us, like try the quality and then you'll judge. It took a while for people to trust the quality. And that was a bit of a challenge in the beginning. The second challenge is when I started my business, The ecosystem on the venture capital did not exist. The abundance of cash investing in startups did not exist. So I I bootstrapped all the way to 2019 until the business became profitable and had had growth. And I did not have an office. I was working almost from coffee shops until 2016. Uh, So that was part of the difficulty. But I think it was 
interesting because now when I look at startups, I keep telling them, please reserve cash. Don't burn. People used to laugh like a couple before the recession. Now that's happening two years ago. The it thing was burn, burn, burn and grow at any cost. Now the world shifted back to positive PNL and looking at numbers and EBITDA companies that make sense financially, which Tajama has been from day one. So yeah, it's been quite a challenging, of course, and building technology for someone who's not techie is so difficult. Like I had to go through multiple iterations, mul- multiple failures in, in even recruiting the right talent to build the product in the early days until we managed to where we are today, educating myself about AI, took courses. It was risky and I'm a risk taker. So I think that's what took Tarjama and got us where we are today is that it's an, a daily affair and you just need to let's just wake up every day and smile and say, okay, today is going to be a better day. How did you keep a level head and maintain your mental health, physical health throughout a process that sounds like it was pretty arduous, as is any entrepreneurial journey? But how have you kept a level head? When I started building this business and I was very serious about the growth and putting it on the right track, I dropped so many things out out of my life. So my social life became so minimal because you can't be an entrepreneur building a business, waking up in the morning and you're partying at night every night. It just doesn't work. So you have something got to give. So I had to drop that out of my life completely. So I'm somebody that wakes up early morning. I exercise every day, like minimum six days out of seven. I try to eat clean as much as possible and I sleep very early. So I'm in usually in bed 930, 10, 1030 max. Same. Um, yeah, I'm, I... And I like it. And honestly, this is what keeps me balanced because otherwise I lose my health. And, you know, in our business, you can easily burn out, but it's not for everyone. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And building a business is not for everyone. Some people are made to be top-notch employees at their jobs. And some are made to be entrepreneurs. And it's not for everyone. What are the traits required uh, to be a good entrepreneur? I think discipline, you just need to be super, super disciplined. You can't, and you need to be focused, laser focused, because you you tend to lose attention very quickly in, in, in our business. You get sucked into things here and there, especially when they start thinking that your business is successful. Ah, oh, great. Come sit on this board, invest in this company, speak here, speak there, and you end up not focused on your business. Another thing I think is you just need to be super honest with yourself and hire a good team that is better than you. Because if you're hiring people that are worse than you or like you, the business will not improve. You need people that are better. I love sitting with my C-level people and learn from them every day. I love sitting and asking them questions and I know that they're smarter than me in the space they're in. For aspiring entrepreneurs and future better heroes, Nur's advice is to surround yourself with the right people. Honestly, I made terrible decisions before hiring and I hired based on my gut and feelings too. And then you discovered that the person is not the right person. Could be great somewhere else, but not, doesn't work perfectly for your company or you don't share the same uh, vision. So I, I think, to be honest, when you hire someone, it's better that you don't make that judgment only you. 
Mm. It is better to have more, involve more people from your team to make a decision. So now when I hire someone, especially from a C-level, I involve three, four people in the process. And even sometimes I call my investor to interview them as well. So I'm not making a decision on my own because sometimes I am, I see things from my own perspective. And if, if I'm pressed for something, subconsciously, I try, I start convincing myself that this is the person, this is the right person. And then a <laughs> few interviews later with few other people, we discovered that no, that's not the right person. We're seeing one aspect of the personality or their qualification. And by the way, it's okay to make mistakes because you will never be able to know someone 100% until you work with them or travel with them or live with them, right? We know that for a fact. That's so, true. So you can't, like people make make mistakes in marriages and, and they date for a long period of time. You think we're not going to be able to make mistakes when we, we're hiring? It's, gonna, it's the same. But it's crucial to make a decision fast in order to say this person is not working. Thank you very much. Bye. That is such great advice. It's so true though. Yeah. That in order to be a good hirer, you actually need to be a bad one first, make a couple of mistakes uh-huh. in order to know exactly. Because I mean, the reality is everyone's first time hiring is their first time in that process. You need to make the mistake and undo that error as soon as possible and try not to repeat it by involving others in the process. But I see you as you know a real figurehead in your game, as many do. You've done an incredible job and just high fives and kudos to you for doing this uh, and continuing to do so. What drives you? Oh, listen, you know, I ask myself this question every day when I'm tired. Um, to be very honest, I think my team and my customers, I feel like I owe it to my team that they've been working with me. Many families live off this business. Many freelancers are working with the company. I cannot let these people down and I cannot let my customers down because I committed to deliver to my clients and I need to deliver best. And there's a mission to this because Arabic language is important. It's the fifth spoken language. There's so much that can be done in the Arabic language space. And I feel I took this mission and I need to continue. So I cannot just drop and and just let go. What would you do after this? Of course, Tajama being successful as it is, continuing to grow and develop. What is the end goal for you? I'd love to see this company like uh, probably whether exit or IPO or do something big, like leave a big mark. I'd love it to continue. Of course, mm. I'd love this business to continue years and years after, even if it's going to evolve into something else. What's next for me? Honestly, I don't know because I still feel I can give still a lot to this business, but I know for a fact that if I one day sold or exited or no longer running the business day to day, I'm going to do something else. For sure, I'm not going to sit doing nothing. Mm. I have no answer because every day I have a new idea. Like I'm going to do a spa. I'm going to do an organic farm. I'm going to do this and that. So it's definitely going to be in the health space for sure. Something related to health. And, you know, obviously we're encouraging entrepreneurship here. Like you said, it's not for everyone. Do you believe there's a middle ground where we can gain for the benefits of entrepreneurship yet still, is there a stepping stone, a middle ground? Is it joining a platform like you, you know, on on your route to entrepreneurship? Could be. I think every employee can be an entrepreneur in his company. Like you don't need to build it yourself, but if you have an idea that could progress the business and you pitch it to your management and your management embrace it, great, fantastic. Why not? And many companies do that already. 
or invest in one of your employees if they decide to leave and like do their own business. And no, I'll finish with one last question, which is what gives you hope? Well, I think why shouldn't we have hope? I think when someone wants like reaches a hopeless stage, I would just probably think of losing your health or like you can't give anymore. But if you're healthy, if you have the energy and even if you fail today, you can succeed tomorrow. So why can't we be hopeful? I don't think anyone can build a business being a pessimist. Usually being pessimist or cynical, you don't build businesses. You can't. You can't accomplish with that mentality. The eternal optimist. Nul Al-Hassan, thank you so much for joining Better Heroes. It was so wonderful to hear the incredible work you're doing, both for businesses and translation and linguistic services everywhere, but for Arabic women and Arabic-speaking women around the world. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, so much. And thank you, EY, for having me. Thank you for joining me, Matt C. Smith, on this podcast of Better Heroes. You can learn more about Tajama and Noor at tajama.com. And you can learn more about EY Ripples and all of its impact entrepreneurs at ey.com slash EY Ripples. The links are in our show notes. Hey, before you go, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Better Heroes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also rate and leave our show a review to help others find out about the amazing work of our impact entrepreneurs. We'd like to thank our podcast producers, Human Group Media, who helped us bring this show to life. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. Better Heroes is a project of EY Ripples, a global program to mobilize people across the EY network to help solve the world's most urgent social and environmental challenges. By extending EY skills, knowledge, and experience to impact entrepreneurs on a not-for-profit basis and forging collaborations with like-minded organizations, EY Ripples is helping scale new technologies and business models that are purposefully driving progress towards the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. The views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the global EY organization or its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time that they were made. <laughs>